Welcome to Airwaves, the official podcast of the Naval Air Systems Command. I'm your host, Michael Warren Prue, and today we are talking personnel security. What is it, and why is it so important in a large organization like NAVAIR? Joining us today is Kelly Bean, the NOC AD Personnel Security Team Lead, and also from NOC AD, Erin Mead, a Personnel Security Specialist. Ladies, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having thank us. Thank you. Personnel security impacts everyone across the organization. So let's start with the basics. Kelly, what is it and what is the goal of personnel security? So the purpose of personnel security is really to make sure that our workforce, that includes military, civilian, contractors, making sure that they're able to both obtain and maintain their security clearance eligibility. Their position sensitivity may not access classified information but their position sensitivity alone could require that they have that clearance eligibility. So we want to make sure that our folks can get it and keep it. So Erin, why is it so important at an organization like NAVAIR? So due to the nature of work we do in NAVAIR, all of our positions are considered sensitive. Even if you aren't accessing classified information, you're still required to maintain a security clearance eligibility in order to occupy your sensitive position. So the best example we have is sensitive IT systems. We access NMCI. We are required to have a background investigation and clearance eligibility to access that. Not just NMCI, but maybe other systems that are external to NAVAIR that may require clearance eligibility also. We want to make sure that employees do have that eligibility to access and perform their job duties. So speaking of that access, what's the purpose of a personnel security investigation? So the purpose of the investigation is to gather information to ensure only loyal, reliable, and trustworthy people have access to classified information or that are assigned to sensitive duties. So Erin, you mentioned things like people that are loyal or reliable, but how do you determine if a current or future employee meets the criteria to work at NAVAIR? So for prospective employees, we're first going to check JPAS, and that's the Joint Personnel Adjudication System, to verify their investigation history to see if they've been cleared in the past. If they haven't been cleared at all, we want to make sure that they have the proper background investigation and vetting before allowing them access to sensitive duties or classified information. From there, we will do fingerprint checks and local records checks. So think of maybe like the public case search records, we are able to verify information through that. We will also do a review of the person's EQIP application, that's the electronic questionnaires for investigation processing. After verifying all that information, then we can determine if they are suitable for employment and grant them a local access determination based on what we find. For current employees, um, think people that are due for maybe a reinvestigation, we will have them do equip, fill out the SF-86, and we'll verify the information to see if they still meet those requirements to have access to classified information or sensitive information. And we are also able to check social media accounts as well. So definitely be careful of what you're putting out for the public to see because it may or may not have an impact on your clearance eligibility going forward. I think that's some pretty important advice. (laughs) Well, if someone did have a blemish on their record, because it does happen, will they still be able to get a job or a security clearance, Kelly? 
In most instances, yes. It uh, really depends on the nature of what happened. Maybe consider how old they were at the time that the incident or incidents occurred, uh, the likelihood that it's going to recur again. I would say that uh, probably a good 98-ish percent or more is easily mitigated. So even if there were maybe some adverse items that showed up on the equip application that Aaron just brought up, it's possible that we can go back to that applicant or employee and ask for additional information that mitigates our concerns altogether and we don't need to be concerned about it at all. But what kind of infractions can create a problem for employee? Well, you may remember when you come on as a brand new employee or when you're doing your annual security refresher training that we bring up these 13 adjudicative guidelines of types of information that we're looking at, that the adjudicators are looking at to determine whether or not uh, it may cause an issue with your clearance eligibility. Probably most of what we see are financial issues, drug involvement, uh, alcohol-related issues, maybe at work, outside of work. And uh, that's not meant to say that just because someone has financial issues that you're going to lose your clearance. Really what it comes down to is making sure that you address issues up front. Why is it a good idea to self-report? Similarly to what I just mentioned, uh, if we catch something early, we can help you with it. Fleet and Family Services, for example, has a command financial counselor. They may be able to assist. I've been doing this for several years. I know what the adjudicators look at, what they don't look at. Uh, So I'm in a pretty good position to provide guidance to employees for here's a good way forward. Here's the type of information I need from you. So it's easier for me to help you uh, when these things first start happening than it is to when it's kind of snowballed to a bigger issue that I can't really help with. Erin, once a person is granted a security clearance, are they subject to periodic reinvestigations? Yes, so anyone that has secret eligibility, they are due for a reinvestigation every 10 years. Those individuals that are granted top secret eligibility are due for reinvestigation every six years. People often will ask us, how long is my reinvestigation going to take? And unfortunately, there's not really a time frame that we can give people. It's all case by case, depending on what the person puts in their background investigation in the equip application. Um, so we've seen cases take you know, a month. We've seen cases take over two years. And that doesn't include adjudication time from the adjudication facility, which that in recently has taken anywhere from a month to over a year. And just as a reminder, uh, you're constantly being monitored, which is the point of continuous evaluation. So in the event that you went out tonight to celebrate a good day at work and you decided to get behind the wheel and you got a DWI, your first call wants to be to personnel security as soon as you return to work. Those things are, are something that you need to report immediately, not waiting until your next reinvestigation, not waiting until you go to court. You want to report those things immediately. So we look at continuous evaluation in, in two parts. So it's about maintaining your clearance eligibility. So if there's any adverse information that may cause a problem for you to maintain your clearance eligibility, we need to know about it. The other piece of it is continuous evaluation is now a part of the reinvestigation process. So Aaron mentioned the six-year and 10-year reinvestigations. And uh, probably in the last year and a half or so, what they have changed is 
if you, let's say, you know, you're boring like me and you don't leave Southern Maryland much and you don't get in trouble and, and things of that nature, you don't necessarily have to have a full-blown reinvestigation done. What'll happen is your EQIP application that you completed, that we reviewed, will get deferred into this online continuous evaluation program and uh, you'll be basically continuously monitored for things such as your credit report might get pulled periodically, your criminal background, if you were to get fingerprinted by the you know local sheriff's office that gets enrolled in the FBI records, we'll find out about that. And uh, those are done now, which is new versus doing a full-blown background investigation. So let's take some time to address some security, quote, myths. Some people may have the perception that seeking therapy or counseling may negatively impact your career, particularly as a military member or a civilian employee. So when it comes to maintaining your security clearance, should people have concerns seeking help? Well, I'm glad you brought this up. And the answer is absolutely not. DOD very much encourages people to get mental health counseling. That being said, counseling alone is the cause for less than 2% of problems with security clearances. So for example, if you need to go get counseling because you're just really down and you need to talk to somebody, go, go get that counseling, do what you need to do. You need to get on medicine, go get on medicine. It's when there are more issues, such as the condition being severely under controlled or you not taking your medications like the doctor tells you to, and you have a condition that could cause an issue with your judgment and ability to really think about protecting information. Those are the times, again, less than 2%, those are the times that it becomes a concern. So again, we very much encourage mental health counseling. So if you need it, go get it. And uh, really it comes down to just following through with whatever your doctor recommends. Exactly. So on to another topic that's getting a lot of press these days, CBD. It seems like the chemical is showing up in everything from face cream to dog treats. What do federal employees need to know about using these products and can it potentially create problems? So at the end of the day, whether you agree with it or not, it is still federally illegal. It's considered a controlled substance, Schedule 1. The other thing is, is most of these products are not evaluated by the FDA, so you can't really verify their content. CBD oil in of itself may not be a problem, but since FDA isn't monitoring it, whatever content is in there, if it's not being watched, could cause you to pop positive on a drug test because again, you don't know what else is in there because it's not being monitored by the FDA. Same with marijuana. Right now, it's still federally illegal. So with both of those items, it is disqualifying for your security clearance. Would highly recommend that you not buy stock in those items. (laughs) That's a big question that we get as well. Because again, you know, we're into that area where states are legalizing it, but federal law hasn't really caught up. But Kelly, what if someone has a note from a doctor for use of medical marijuana? So I would say probably no one knows better than I do with a condition that I have that could potentially work great for me. But at the end of the day, I'm a federal employee. Federal law says no. Guidance for your security clearance says no. As long as I want to stay a federal employee and maintain my security clearance, 
can't have it. Even if you have a medical marijuana card, it's still going to be disqualifying for your clearance. As we wrap up today, I want to address a topic that's unfortunately been in the news quite a bit lately. We touched on it in our OPSEC podcast, and that's insider threat. We've had two active shooter incidents at military installations over the past couple of weeks. And in both situations, we've learned that the shooter had a clearance. They, they had access or authorization to be on the base. So talk to me about insider threat. What is it? And, and more importantly, what can we do as a workforce to prevent situations like these? So insider threat is anyone with authorized access who uses that access to harm the organization and its resources, um, such as fraud, espionage, violence. These folks are people who are here because they're supposed to be here. They got a job. They went through the clearance process. You know, they got assigned to a program. And that said, they're maybe displaying behaviors such as maybe a lot of personnel action, HR type complaints. Maybe they're erratic behavior or maybe such things as declining performance. They're pretty vocal about their disdain for the government. Those could be insider threat personnel security specific things that we would look at. And it's all about detecting it early. It doesn't really do any good if somebody sees the information and doesn't say anything about it. So as cliche as it sounds, if you see something, say something. So if it's relatively innocent, you know, you you just have that creepy, spidey sense that something may be going on, pick up the phone and call us. Certainly if that person is making threats, you should immediately pick up the phone and call 911. Well, ladies, I want to thank you both for being here today to talk about personnel security. I think we've all learned lots of important information that, that is usable across the entire workforce. And that's it for this edition of Airwaves. Thanks for listening. 